Welcome to the RCAF USA Roundup. I'm Shad Sullivan. And I'm Jaden Moreland, and we're here to talk all things cattle, sheep, and American exceptionalism. We stand for liberty and freedom. And we are having real and honest conversations about issues that affect your family, your ranch, your community, and most of all, your legacy. So let's jump right in. As I'm sure you've noticed, much of the world has bought into the lie that cattle are destroying the planet. And with things like USDA's Climate Smart Commodity Project, natural asset companies, and carbon credits, it makes you wonder, has the cattle industry itself bought into that same lie? Independent journalist Jim Mundorf with Lonesome Lands joins us to discuss these hot topics, how mandatory ID and the checkoff play into them, and how we push back. This episode is sponsored by the South Dakota Stock Growers Association. For over 125 years, they have worked to promote and preserve the viability of independent South Dakota ranchers and rural communities by fighting for proper legislation, private property rights, property tax reforms, school funding, beef to schools, and stewardship and land management. For more information, find them on Facebook or visit SouthDakotaStockGrowers.org. The South Dakota Stock Growers is RCAP USA's largest state affiliate, and we appreciate their partnership, the work they do, and their support of our 2023 National Convention. Okay, well, welcome back to the RCAP USA Roundup. Today we have Jim Mundorf with us today. He's usually the one asking the questions, so we're excited to get him in the hot seat and kind of tap into his research and knowledge. So with that being said, Jim, go ahead and give us a quick introduction to our listeners that aren't as familiar with you and just tell us a little bit about yourself. So I am from Southwest Iowa. I run lonesomelands.com is why reason I'm here, I suppose. And then I have my other business is called the Drover House where I put together longhorn stuff, mounts and furniture and art. That's, that's mainly what I've done for almost 19 years now. I've been doing that, but um, I grew up on a farm that I still also work at where we have corn, soybeans, and cow-calf. Griswold, Iowa is the town I grew up in, um, where it's like 40 miles straight east of Omaha, Nebraska. Gotcha. So you've done some research on some topics that go really far over my head and really are pretty complex, and you've done a great job building a platform, kind of conveying these issues in a way that's easier to understand and kind of comprehend, and it's been fun getting to follow it. Um, So kind of just tell us, how did Lonesome, Lonesome Lands come to be and kind of give, give us a background and take us to the beginning to now? So I, and I've always had a kind of interest in media. I went to a two-year community college and got a degree in marketing management, which is um, when people in the cattle business hear marketing, they think cattle marketing, but it was more of like advertising, that kind of stuff. And then I quit for a while and worked for a farmer and then decided to go back to school. And that's when I was kind of really interested in media stuff. And I got, I went for communication. I had a minor in journalism, but then I quit journalism and, and I just wanted to get out of there. So I just finished up with communication degree. And so, and then when I got out of there, I just wanted to run my own business. That's all I wanted to do. And so I started the Drover House um, and did that. But then, you know, as time went by, the reason I didn't want anything to do with media is because I'd have to work for somebody and, and the people kind of involved in the media. I kind of took a look at the people involved in the media business um, or the journalism business. And I thought that I don't want to work with any of these people. <laughs> and so, but you know, as time went by, it got to the point where you can kind of start your own media company from your home office, which is where I'm sitting, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that's what I did. I, I just kind of, 
And, and as time was going by too, I, I thought a lot about agriculture and different issues and how, you know, I think a lot of people always think of, well, somebody should say this or somebody should say that, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and finally I, one day I was just, I can remember I was walking between my shop and my office and I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do it. And I sat down, I already knew how to make a website from my other business. I've typed up a couple of things. And at the beginning it was pretty kind of just lighthearted stuff. It wasn't, you know, anything like I'm doing now, it's just kind of what it's evolved to. The th What was behind it was just kind of, I felt like there needed to be a voice that was more of like a producer type of voice, you know, that's really, that's, that's what it still is. Um, and that's what I hope it always is. Um, but you know, there's always all these people in, in ag media that I talk about and they work in offices and they, you know, they're, they're pretty disconnected and, and they're motivated by things that, that have nothing to do with really what would help the producer. Um, and they don't even, you know, there's a whole different, I think, mindset too, of, of when you actually talk to people with boots on the ground that are doing stuff. Um, people like Shad that, that make their whole, you know, their, their living all comes from production. And so that's kind of where it's, what it's turned into, I guess. Well, Jim, I got a question. Where does the Drover House end and Lonesome Lands begin? Or is there a line of delineation between the between the two? Are they two separate entities? I've always wondered this because I when I'm looking at it, I feel like the Drover House is the is the top umbrella over Lonesome Lands. And the then, Drover House makes yeah. money and the Lonesome Lands spends money. I guess ah. that's, that's how it works, really. I'm, and um, I'm kind of starting to mix them both a little bit kind of on the social medias, but I don't use one to promote the other. I've never really been like that. I'm I'm always kind of, I'm not much of a promoter. Well, obviously you have a, you have the gift, maybe maybe not the gift of promotion, but you don't have to have that. But you do have the gift of vision. And what I love about that is just the names of the two companies. I mean, that's that's really cool how you how you did that, and you you use these artistic talent of yours to make money in that in that realm or that umbrella. So I think that's cool. Yeah. Well, naming the companies now, I feel like I don't know if that was good or if I've just pushed. It, it takes a lot of creativity because because of domain names if you want to if you want a website that's .com good luck find one <laughs> um and so i've always talked about that people ask why lonesome lands um and there's a quote a theodore roosevelt quote that talks about they come from the lonely lands um yeah. and that always just felt like that really summed up um kind of agriculture or you know, where, where the people from agriculture are at and, and where they live. And so I wanted to use that and I, I was trying to use that and lonelylands.com was taken. And so of course I thought, well, lonesome is a pretty good, you know, has like, a pretty good sound to it. I like, it works like pretty well for better. other people. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And so I went, I went with that and, and that's that cool. was available. So I took it. So that's kind of how that worked, but yeah, it's really neat. I love it. Yeah. Very creative. Um, and I think it does a good job conveying your message too. I don't know. It just all goes together so well. It does. It well, does. Good. I'm glad to hear it because at first it's kind of like when you say a name that hasn't ever really been said before, 
it always kind of comes out it, it, and it just took a long time really for me to even be comfortable with like lonesome lands. It's, it is kind of a mouthful. I feel like still. I think it's so totally unique and that it, it, that it actually is interwoven into the Drover house. You know, I mean, yeah. we all know what a Drover is and it, and it just embodies that, that Western lifestyle. And I know you're from Iowa, but, right. but we all have dreams of going West. Right. And, and really looking back, for me in my life, that is what embodied, or that that's, I guess, where I find my identity in those dreams of my forefathers or those people who came before me. And, you know, I know most of them came West on a covered wagon. And so it's just, it just embodies what I love the most. And that's our Western lifestyle. Yeah. And that's, I've, I've kind of always, I describe myself as a farmer who wants to, who wants to be a cowboy when he grows up. Right. And that's how I've always, like if you look at how I've been since I was two years old, pretty much running around with a hat and gun on in the backyard, yep. it's, it's kind of, <laughs> I haven't changed a whole lot really. Jim, um, that is exactly how I picture you, you as a kid, <laughs> this little tiny skinny kid with this big old hat felt hat on it, his little long ranger gun to the side. Yep. Boom, boom. <laughs> Maybe I'll send you a picture when we're done. Yeah, please do. <laughs> Okay. Well, back on topic, Shad. Shad gets off on these rabbit chases and we end up way far off, but I love it. Okay. Um, so Jen, the other day you were with us at the Black Hill Stock Show and you gave an incredible presentation on what you call the lie agreed upon. Um, and that presentation we'll put in the show notes in case our listeners are interested. But let's dive into that and what you mean by a lie agreed upon. Um, and let's start with the USDA Climate Smart Commodity Project. Kind of give us an overview of that and what you've found. Yeah, and that's, that's where that kind of line comes from, just because as I was going through it, like I said in the presentation, it's a it's a famous quote from Napoleon. I didn't know it at the time, but I just that it just kept coming into my head, kind of these are lies agreed upon because it's so many people it's so many companies and they're of, you know, the lie of agriculture destroying the climate is really what kind of has dri driven this whole thing. Um, and, you know, as, as I got into it, I was able to kind of, like I, I talked about the thing too, it, because I was able to take my time and really go through it. I feel like I was able to connect enough dots because at first it just seems like a total money throw to corporate America. It's $3.1 billion dollars. Everyone getting the money is either a corporation or some sort of association or a university or or a college of some kind. Um, those are the main main. I guess I shouldn't say everyone because there's so many people getting the money. Who I mean, it's it's hard to track. Um, but yeah, it, and it's all it's going out to. Um, what I real what I put said in in came to conclude from it all is that it's creating a system um, where farmers and ranchers will be able to really easily um, measure, monitor, report, and verify. That's their acronym that I talked about the other day. It's MMRV. That's what all these companies talk about is their MMRV. And it's getting small producers to be able to measure, monitor, report, and verify carbon emissions. That's the end goal of the whole program. Um, because once I believe once they can do that, then it will end up, the end goal is obviously that it will be required of everyone to report those 
carbon emissions. Um, and the reason I think that is because that's what is stated in, you know, Tyson Foods ESG report, all these different ESG reports. Um, there, there is what's called a scope three. Scope three is reporting the emissions of your suppliers. And the reason they want to do that is so that they can push these regulations all the way down through the supply chain. Like I, um, and I talked about there, like, and it's gone there. Um, these large corporate, um, cattle feeders, um, large corporate grain operators, they have to have an ESG report or ESG score or sustainability report, those kind of things. And part of their reports are, they're going to have to have a scope three, which means the people down, they call it upstream and downstream. The people downstream from them are going to have to also, um, report their emissions. And that goes all the way down the stream. And I talked about how, um, cattle, you know, the small cattle producers and farmers, um, are the last link. Like the, if you talk about a supply chain, they're the last link. They're where it all begins. And they are, and this is really kind of the last link of, of they're the last ones to agree to the lie. That's how I put it. Um, this, this lie has been agreed upon all through the, all through the, supply chain every link of the supply chain has agreed well we're destroying the climate we have to report our carbon emissions um and so that was kind of the goal of what i was talking about but jim i guess the what i want to say about the lie agreed upon is that it's a voluntary system there are no laws requiring all of this it all comes from an ideology at the uh, you know at the world economic forum the united nations through sustainable development. And there are, we are still supposedly a sovereign nation. So all of this stuff that is happening is happening through influence from a global hierarchy down into our businesses and, um, and our corporations. And then, like you say, it flows down. I think concerning the MMRV, the most uh, critical and concerning thing on my end of that would be verify the verification because verification totally um, comes to a point of requirement mandatory, right? That's what, that's what verification is. And all of the rest of it could be, um, could be voluntary and it is voluntary. And we have all these organizations and corporations voluntarily implementing this sustainable model. Um, then which will then force independent producers into the action, right? And it will be a, a get on board or get out type of situation. Yeah, and it's already, I mean, yeah, that's that's the obvious, the obvious thing. And the thing about verifying too, when it comes to all this stuff, even when you when you really deep dive into this ESG stuff, which is what I've talked about, it's environmental, social governance, it's this plan. And and to go back to what you started talking about the why part, like, I think there are so many people that are, why is this happening? And you said World Economic Forum, United Nations, and it goes back to these really, you know, people that, that I can't, I don't understand how their brain works. Um, and I talked about that on my podcasting with Brett. I just don't get how people want to control other people, but those people exist. And, and that's the first part of really coming to understand this thing. There are people in the world that want to control every, everything that they possibly can. You know, and if you look back through history, you know, Stalin, Hitler, Mao, you see these people and, you know, you can't, it's hard to wrap your head around 
how their brain works, you know, but those are people that, that wanted to control everything, you know, and it's the same, it's the same kind of system here when you get into United Nations and World Economic Forum. Um, and, and those are the, they influence these gigantic investment firms, Black Re BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, that's where this all started. They're the four largest investment firms in the world. They control, those four investment firms control as much money as, or almost as much money as the entire US GDP. And they are the largest shareholders in the majority of the S&P 500. So they're the largest shareholders in Tyson Foods, largest shareholders in John Deere, largest shareholders in ADM. All these companies are all kind of on board with this thing. And so when they're the shareholders, you know, they get votes and, and they get to really kind of control these corporations and, and have a control of how the corporations operate. And that's how the ESG has gotten in. That's where the lie started um, and has gotten in as far as agriculture. You know, they got it into these biggest corporations and everyone has to, you know, we are now living in this, in an agriculture world that is completely concentrated. Um, and so we have these four corporations that control the cattle industry or beef industry and you know they've they've all they're all kind of signed on to it and then they just work it down through the through the supply chain well, um not only that the what is it farm journals receiving how much money from this thing so then now they're controlling the media with it too right and yeah it's farm journal is is getting 40 million um they're they're getting 40 million from this and you know, going back to, I talked, I was in journalism school and I like you, when you go through those schools, you take journalism ethics, different thing, you know, classes like that, like what's ethical and stuff. Well, imagine, I can't imagine like raising your hand. Would it be ethical to take $40 million from the government that you're reporting on um, or re take $40 million from anyone that you're, that you're supposed to report on, um, you know, and, and this stuff is all supposed to go out in payments to producers as part of their programs like the farm journal one is called trust in food um and then the cattle one through farm journal is called trust in beef and and those are programs that are set up to create a system like i said where where they are make it very you know it's apps on your phone software that that hooks to eid tags different things like that 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 um are set up to measure, make it really easy and simple to measure carbon emissions. Um, and, and, you know, the goal for making it easy and simple is, is to make it to where it can be, uh, can be enforced um, and and yeah. Blockchain. Blockchain. Yeah. Um, yeah. So running backwards on you a little bit, um, the sustainability model was, was started by a woman um, named Harlem uh, Grow Harlem Brundtland, and she was a Norwegian, and she introduced um, this uh, in 1992 um, at let me look Rio de Janeiro at the World World Health Organization, and because she thought that the world was um, overpopulated. And we were killing killing the planet, right? And so then she became she became the head of the World Health Organization (WHO). And um, so then in Rio de Janeiro in 1992, uh, she 
introduced this sustainability model and that's so and and we they they call her the mother of sustainability and so she is a diabolical woman right and so you say well how how does this well it's that diabolical thinking it's thinking away from production and actually thinking away from belief in a higher higher person or okay. a hierarchy you know a god yeah and, and it's that gets talked about a lot is like the, the cult of the climate agenda. Yes, uh, exactly. Exactly. Sorry about that. Go with it. Run with it. <laughs> no, I, I just wanted to, you know, No, it's good. It's good to learn. And that's, yeah. you know, that's kind of been the, the enjoyable part of all this. It can, like I talk about, it can get really overwhelming and kind of when you look at how, you know, entrenched things have got, it's, it's pretty depressing, but you know, it is the, the enjoyable thing is, is learning about, you know just actually getting to learn and know these kind of things like that's something i had no idea about but but jim the the danger of all of this becoming so interwoven is that we bypass our constitution on rulemaking and and so talk tell 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 me how and this is a hard question but how does the how have these organizations and these government bureaucracies and these universities come together i mean is it just the pay-to-play system or is it an ideology that they all believe in have we been infiltrated from from those ideologues uh you know those diabolical ideologues um because they don't believe you know it's a freedom issue and obviously that's where what we're leaving in the dust is our liberty and freedom how did how did the, how did that come to be so interwoven with one another because some but somewhere in the mix of all this we have people who claim to be american patriots and liberty loving people teaching in colleges working at these associations and they say oh i love liberty i love america and yet they're signing us on to these global this global agenda that is interwoven into a web that we can't even decipher most of the time and, and so i want to know how that how does that happen yeah, that's and that, it's a tough question to answer. Um, but you know, I feel like you the more you look into this stuff, it's kind of the same answer that that always comes up. It's money. Um, the money. and money can change someone's ideology, really. Yeah. There's a lot of farmers right now that are getting talked into, you know, well, we've got pipelines on our land. What's wrong with another pipe? You know, what's wrong with this pipeline versus you know which the what's wrong with it is because it's it's coming from it's a lot of private gain they talk about their private corporate companies that are making money off of you and off of your land and that's not something that's supposed to be used for eminent domain um but to get back to this other thing like why would farm journal want to be involved in this deal um you know like they're getting a ton of money i don't know i've talked to some people that are involved in some of these programs and they'd say that they're not getting paid that much so yeah, and me too. And the money, um, and so you know what gets taken, and that's what the thing like they this when you look at this three billion dollars and how they've outlined this website that's supposed to be kind of transparent or whatever, you have no idea where the money's going. Under all of these lead partners, like I talked about, how um, ADM is a, getting ninety million dollars, you know. I think they're the second biggest ag corporation in the world. Um, and they're getting handed $90 million do from the federal government. 
So it's your taxpayer dollars. And then they have all these other partners that are called, I can't remember what they called them, but they're like other partners, other major partners or something like that is what it calls it. And there'll be, yeah, there's, there's, and there's a ton of them in there. So it's like, how's the money getting split up? And then we can get into like what I think we're going to be talking about is this public private partnership. And some of the partners are, they have paid into it and, and they they're getting money back. And some of them have just paid into it and aren't getting money back, but you never see in amounts or anything else. And, you know, so it's like, and the craziest thing of all that I, the one thing that is, makes me smile every time I think about it is ducks unlimited is involved in every single one of these deals and every time i see it i'm just like what in the heck is what are these duck people doing these duck hunters doing with these millions of dollars that they're getting and and what do they have to do with any of this carbon emission stuff um i i just find that um it's just funny when it's funny when you see how many times they're listed in this thing it's like everything you click on like you look at you know you go to iowa soybean you know, they're getting $95 million and I think Ducks Unlimited is there. And then you go to the Farm Journal one and Ducks Unlimited is on that one. It just doesn't make any sense. But it, trying to make sense of this thing is, it's a, you know, it's a fool's game because it doesn't make any sense. You're never going to make sense of it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I was just look. I was just looking for that. You're right. Ducks Unlimited and, and some other wildlife organizations are all a part of it, but. And to know. go back to your question, why? I mean, it just has to be money. It has to money be money. Is involved, and it changes the way people think, you know, like a lot of farmers who are involved in the farm program. Well, this is how we have to do it, you know, and what's the difference if I take the money, somebody else is going to take the money. Um, and that's where we're at too. And well, if your neighbor's getting a bunch of money, well, then what do you do when, the farm that between you comes up for sale. Who's going to buy that when exactly. you're at the farm auction? And he's getting all this government money and you're not. It delineates competition. Right. Yeah. And it's the same does. with the windmills and every other thing. You know, yep. there's guys that are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from windmills and you're supposed to be able to compete with them for, for land. And, and, you know, and then it goes, land prices go crazy. It's the same with CRP and all these different things. Sure. This government just pours all this money into it. And, and it gets people to, to be, to just be comfortable with it. Um, one of the things I, I think about, or I, I've thought about a lot is there's this movie called Cinderella man. It's an older movie, but it's about this boxer and he's in the depression and he, he hates, he's really um, kind of ashamed about going and taking like a government handout to, to feed his family. And then he becomes this famous boxer and he ends up writing a check and takes it back to the welfare window and, and giving the money back. And I think about how, how far we've, how much we've changed since that time. When exactly. COVID payouts, PPP program, all that kind of stuff, because, and, and I'm not blaming anybody really for doing that, um, those kind of programs. But um, when you think about, you know, just, just people's, the pride people used to have in, in yes. making their own money and not taking those checks. And that has gone away. It, yeah, it, I, re I remember um, my grandfather telling me um, about the Great Depression. And when it hit, you know, the Great Depression was, we also had the worst drought in history during the Great Depression, right? I mean, and he said, uh, 
the federal government created a program to help these farmers to try to stay on farmers and ranchers because you have to remember we were right after the days of settling homestead days so there wasn't huge ranches or there was some some places but mostly not in the in the central plains and the government come out and one of the reasons they lost so many people was because they had too much pride to accept that help so uh there is has been a huge change in culture um, and then a few years ago, I heard a rancher say, well, take everybody's but mine. You know, he didn't want to lose his government handout. Yeah. And I, I just thought we're, we have come so far. We're just flipped around to what we what we were back in the days when we dreamed about settling the West, you know. Right. And and um, I I think I told Jaden this tweet. I I felt like it was the tweet of the year. I was talking about this Vivek Ramaswamy. And his plan was to cut 75% of all federal government jobs. And somebody commented or tweeted, I think, um, if they cut 75% of the USDA, I hope the the other 25% know how to write the checks. Um, because that was kind of, you know, and that's the mentality, like make sure you leave the guys that know how to pay us, pay, make the payouts. Um, oh, dang. <laughs> Can't make it I thought up. that was a good way to be lighthearted about about kind of the situation we're in yeah. okay Jaden what do you want from me <laughs> I think we need to go natural asset companies and carbon credits let's well, let's do that. carbon credits because I I want to learn I think carbon credits is I think natural asset companies are a symptom of carbon credits okay go so, for it so Jim, what is a carbon credit? <laughs> That's a good question. And and so I think I was going into this earlier um, about when we started talking about verifying is all this stuff is kind of arbitrary. There isn't really definitions. And if, even when you get into this ESG stuff, ESG, the whole system is a scoring system. Um, but, th but there's no real set way to score it. Um, it's all... They can change it at any time. It's it's however they feel fit. Um, and I feel like that kind of is, as far as the carbon credit stuff I've looked into, it's it's kind of similar. Um, the carbon, you know, I, I did a video not too long ago about the first verified carbon credits were sold to Dairy Farmers of America from a dairy farmer. And these are like, they, they said it's the first livestock carbon credits in the carbon market and how they were created in their press release they said that this and dairy farmers of america is the largest milk or or dairy producer or supplier in the country so they're just a gigantic corporation but they're also a co-op because there's their dairy farmers are, are shareholders and one of their shareholders um fed his his dairy cows some a feed additive that's supposed to reduce their methane and he was somehow able to verify that. And it didn't say how he was able to verify it or how much he was able to verify. It didn't say how much the carbon credits were worth or what Dairy Farmers of America paid for them. It didn't say any of that. It just said, you know, it, it, the goal, I think, is to get people wound up and think, oh, well, we have this new market coming. And so we need to be involved. Um, and, and one of the things I found interesting in their, in their press release um, was they talked about how this could be at 20% of the, of their income, it could be, become 20% um, of the dairy farmer's income. And so if you're looking at it from Dairy Farmers of America, who is paying these guys for milk, 
and realizing that they have to keep these guys in business. Well, if we create a carbon market where, you know, all of, so if you talk about what a carbon credit is, I guess, to go back to that, like if an airline company is, they're told that the, the way that they become net zero is they buy these carbon credits and then they offset the carbon that they're putting into the atmosphere. And that's how you're going to become net zero by offsetting it by buying carbon credits. So if you look at Dairy Farmers of America, they're looking at their their producers. And Dairy Farmers of America is actually the ones that purchased the, the, purchased the carbon credit. So they purchased it from one of their own shareholders. Um, and, and so they are be able, and in their press release, it said it was so that they could reduce their ESG score. Um, they talked about scope three, right in their press release. Um, and it said how other companies will be able to do this, um, by buying these carbon, carbon credits. And so, um, I think, but if you look at them, well, they're buying milk from these guys. Well, what if they can pay them 20% less because they're making 20% income off of carbon credit, you know? And, and so you got to think about that, like how they're looking at that deal. Um, if they can create this market. You know, like if Tyson Foods can create a market where where cattle guys are are making money off of carbon credits somehow, you know, and and that that's just going to increase their competition between them. Um, and there is no competition at the top, you know. So they're just gonna, it's it's just a whole, it's just one gigantic scam after another. It is, um, and that's what I'm saying is. Like, okay, so the, there's a lot of dairy people around here. My wife's a CPA and she's got a lot of clients. And and so you have to, those dairy farmers have no other option but to sell their milk to DFA. You have to be a part of that organization because there's no other market, right? And so when we talk about um, selling credits, to me, like when you, when you said, well, there's an airline and they they buy or sell carbon credits. All we're really trading is money. The The amount of pollution is still the same on both ends. Right. That is not changing. All well, it is, it's so a false argue, market. Yeah. Well, their argument is they're giving these cows a feed additive and they're creating less, right. less carbon emissions. And that's how they're verifying it. But I mean, good luck. I mean, and, and then to where you get into where it's arbitrary, like, uh, you know, if, if you don't have a way of really verifying, which I don't think they ever will, you know, it's kind of like, well, who's verifying it? And and so then it's like, are you are you playing by all the rules they want to to get yourself verified? And that's 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 the end goal. It, you know, it all comes down to control. Everything uh, and that's you really whittle everything down. Yeah. Like you, this is like the onion you're peeling the layers off. And when you get yeah. down to the middle, it's all about how do we control. How, how do we get these these guys under control? It's all about production control. I was reading an article about a farmer in Australia the other day, and he was the on the forefront of the carbon carbon emission uh, you know measuring system. And um, I don't know. they started back in the 90s and and in the first three years, they they did all this improvement to their farm, which I thought was fantastic improving. They, you know, they built waterways and they planted trees and they did all of this stuff. And somehow this scientist come in here and he measured it. And, and like in the first five years, he's like, man, they are carbon neutral. They're producing. And then it just stopped it. According to the scientists, 
and it just stopped. And then they started going the other way. So for the last 20 years, they've been going the other way, according to his science, the opposite direction that they want them to go because they planted too much and did too, too, too many other things that would capture it. Like he, he said, the trees were actually capturing too much carbon. And I'm like, this is so confused. <laughs> this is so damn confusing. I don't know which way I'm going, but I do know that I've got neighbors that have participated in this program, this carbon credit program, and they haven't been paid for two years is what they told one of them told me. And, and so yesterday I was listening to AgriPulse today with Chip Flory and they had a little five minute segment on, and they've got a gal, uh, you know, their sustainability officer, um, come and give them, give them a, a report on carbon credits. And she said they were really disappointed because in the last two years, um, at first they, they signed up all of these people and they've only, in the last two years, they've only been able to capture 2% of America's producers to participate in the program. And that has, has uh, leveled out. They are not getting any more participation. And so she actually brought up incentives, incentives for um, uh, like AgriPulse Today, Farm Journal to go out there, which meets exactly what you said about the $40 million to go out there and start incentivizing these producers to sign up and find these new carbon credit markets. And they were upset. I mean, that, that girl was really upset that they had only found 2% of, of the producers in America interested in signing on to the scam. And yeah. uh, I think that was really funny. Yeah. And it, yeah, it goes back to also when they first came out of it, it's called what it had, what they called additionality, which means you have to change what you're doing to get to be involved. Like yeah. if you're already doing cover crops and no till on the farm side, or if you're already doing like heavy rotations um on the cattle side things like that and and then you're just not going to be able to do it because you have to reduce your emissions and if you're doing things the right way starting out with well you can't reduce your emissions <laughs> you know i mean and that's and that's what people heard first you know that was the first thing that was before this three billion got poured into it so i don't know if they've changed that or not but it didn't make any sense from the get-go and that's it's a really a good thing you know that it didn't make sense but i remember somebody told my dad a guy that works for a big ag company he said if you want to be involved in this carbon deal go back to the way you were farming 40 50 years ago when you're tilling everything and 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 then you'll have to switch and then you can make money but i actually read that that that's true i i read that there was somebody wanting to participate in it and he had already implemented his no-till and then they to participate in it he had to go back and he'd been no-tilling for years and years right and he had to go back and plow it up yeah to, yeah I plow mean, it up and then and then go back to no-till yeah i suppose that's the verify they're going to come out and make sure you tilled it and then I guess. and then make sure you don't the next year okay Jaden, where are we at what do you want to do so <laughs> I like how uh, Jaden is in charge of everything. Well, she's the boss here. Yeah. <laughs> what I kind of want to talk about, um, I have two things I want to talk about still with you. So the fact that, you know, all these carbon emissions and, you know, cutting down on carbon and reducing your cattle herd because the carbon and all that stuff, that's all made possible by the mandatory ID tags. 
And so kind of just talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah. So I did a video and it's almost been a whole year now where it's just kind of like a, and, and when I do these videos, like I'm never 100% sure I'm right, you know, but I'll, I have a pretty strong opinion. I think when I come out and when I did that one, I thought I, I was, you know, 99% sure, but there's, you know, I was like, am I right about this? Um, but I did it a year ago and I have just been proven right over and over and over again. And what that was, was I was looking at, so that last year, um, USDA, that's when they put this rule out, I think was last year around this time, maybe January, something like that, where they talked about, you know, breeding stock, cattle over 18 months old, and they wanted to make it mandatory ID. And they actually gave National Cattlemen's Beef, I don't think enough people know this, they gave NCBA $445,000, almost yeah. half a million dollars to, they, they talked about to, you know, build up the traceability program or build up the disease prevention program, something like that is what they called it. And so that's why I started looking into it. And at the same time, I was looking into this ESG stuff and, and back then, so like a year ago, if you wanted to learn about ESG, there was really one guy talking about it and it was Vivek Ramaswamy. I keep bringing that name up, but that is because like when I want, when you, it's the first place I ever heard about scope three. It's the first place I ever heard about any of this stuff. And the reason he knew about it is because he was a part of one of these companies that it was getting kind of shoved down his throat. Um, he had started these different pharma companies, I guess. And he wrote a book called woke Inc. And I read it and I started learning about ESG. So I look up, you know, the biggest beef supplier in the country, um, Tyson foods. I look up their ESG report and it talks about how, you know, and I'd learned about scope three, which is to go back, it's the emissions of your supplier. So if you're a corporation, you need to track the emissions of your supplier. That's what scope three is. So I look up Tyson's food scope three, because they're supplied by cattle guys. And what it says is they need a standardized way of calculating it um, across industry sectors, things like that. And it's the exact same time that I'm looking at this mandatory ID thing and wondering what the heck's going on with this. And they're all talking about foot and mouth disease and all this disease prevention and traceability. But I'm like, this is exactly what would capture exactly, you know, Tyson Foods says, in order to report our scope three, this is what we need. And what it was is everything that an EID tech can do. I wish I had it in front of me, but it was like, it's standardized calculation is really what it was in way of reporting it. Um, and then to go from that and I did a video about it and talked about it there. And that's where I was talking about, like, I'm not sure if I'm right, but then you start looking at, you know, SEC security exchange commission came out with a rule where they said every publicly traded corporation was going to have to report their ESG score. Well, that would include the scope three, like if you're Tyson's foods, well then, you know, the people downstream, the next link is going to have to, they're going to have to have a scope three score. Um, and so then I'm like, well, okay, that's what the EID tags would want. And that's why all these big cattle feeders who are partnered with Tyson foods, they all want the EID tags too. Um, and then, you know, you see the, the climate smart commodity project where it's, it's a lot of it is, you know, these companies that are involved with, you know, like if you look at farm journals, trust in beef program, they're aligned with this AgriWeb. AgriWeb's a, uh, an app that can be put on your phone that will track your cattle when you have these EID tags. And then it will give you a score of, you know, you, there's other, there's this Trimble software and that'll partner with the other softwares and it'll all give you a score of, 
of your climate emission. It's a way to track your carbon emissions. Um, and so, yeah, that's, and so then fast forward to this year where they have their convention and it comes out that they actually want it on every single animal um, available, which is, which is what all of the critics said from the get go. And it's just like, they prove us right over and over again, but it's, it's amazing that people just still don't see really what's going on. Um, well, and, and let me add, add to this because we're talking about this climate smart commodity program, and this is taxpayer dollars filtering into organizations. Let's take farm journal, for example, goes into farm journal. We now have state controlled media. Okay. That is, in my estimation, that's communism, right? Okay, so I did a little research because the RFID deal is so, so strong right now. And in my opinion, the bad guys are pushing it, right? But I did a little research and how interwoven and how uh, there's so much money being traded. We don't know where all this money is going. But, you know, there's, there's this guy by the name of Neville Spear, who writes, uh, I think, he's, is he OSU? I, I think Neville Spears at OSU or somewhere like that. Uh, he's. I thought he was like in the Southeast somewhere. I don't know. Well, anyway, he works. Huh? I, I should, as we're talking about it, I feel like I should um, say thank you to Neville Spear. I did a video last year where um, he told, <laughs> he said you should not be able to say that the market is broken or that the, the cattle market isn't working. And I did a video about that and, it has been viewed 1.1 million times now. Well, let's, so he built know, my Neville Spear has built my um my YouTube channel. So thank great you. Great job, great job for Neville Spear. <laughs> well, him and Greg Henderson are both um, investors or, or the board at this um, organization in Kansas. Greg Henderson, just to be clear, that's the editor in chief of Drovers Magazine, correct? Owned by Farm Journal, correct? Um. <laughs> And they're both on the board and I'm assuming investors in this com this RFID company, tag company, or a traceability company called Livestock Lens in Kansas. So here we have this money flowing downhill from the federal government into the coffers of Farm Journal. Farm Journal, uh, pay, I'm sure Neville Spear doesn't write for free uh, into all of these articles for free so we have those guys and then they're pushing sustain or they're pushing rfid and sustainability and what do you know they're on uh the board at livestock lens or they've helped create this company and i'm just like how 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 corrupt can we get how, and who is not overseeing all of this and i guess maybe it doesn't matter now maybe we've gone too far but i i do want to point out that through all of this is done through sustainable development, obviously. And I want to, I want to, and I'm, people kind of get mad or get on me about calling it communism, but that's what it is. It's an ism. It's either Marxism, socialism, communism. It's not Americanism. We know that for sure. But I want to compare and contrast um, the mission of, of sustainable development compared to the mission um, in the communist constitution. So in, under sustainable de development, you, we talk about ESG. That's the triple bottom line of sustainability, social environmental governance. That's what that is. And so you have, uh, through sustainable development, their mission, vision, and mission, uh, their five priorities are, or four, are continuous improvement. We've heard that. You're never going to be good enough. That's when you say, 
who's making the rules, who's who's pushing the rules. Anybody, it's their rules at their whim, and you're never going to be good enough. Uh, then they they prioritize social, economic, and environmental. Okay, under the communist constitution, the uh, the Soviet Union constitution. This is from 1977. There, for um, uh, for places of vision, is uh, it ensures continuous improvement, social reform, economic and cultural biodiversity. <laughs> I mean, it's exact. The sustainable development um, mission is the exact same. It comes out of the, the, the Soviet Union constitution. Yeah. It is unreal. And people don't know this. I've done a lot of very deep digging and I'm just like, whoa, that's some powerful stuff that needs to be, people need to hear. Yeah. And this isn't just your, I mean, I don't really understand, you know, I've never read Karl Marx or any of that kind of stuff. So I'm not a, like a communist scholar or whatever, but I've, as I've looked into this ESG and really researched that, that's what the, that's what the critics say every time. This is communism. This is yeah. how they're pushing communism. Yeah. And you talk about, you don't know who's, who's overseeing it all. Um, to go back to the lies, um, Tom Vilsack is secretary of agriculture. And you talk about, you know, he's not elected. Um, they took $3 billion out of, you know, nobody ever voted for Tom Vilsack to be secretary of agriculture. Right. They took $3 billion out of what is called the community, community corporate. I can't remember what it's called. I can't remember the three C's, but it's CCC. And it's a fund that's supposed to be a relief fund for agriculture, farmers and ranchers. They took that straight out of there um, with no congressional oversight. This never went to the ag committee. Nobody that was ever voted into office had anything to do with this, really. Um, and then they and then they just give it out. And and to go back to Vilsack, if you've read the meat racket, and you know it goes back to when he's campaigning with Obama and his first terms in there with Obama, his number one goal for the past, you know, he's done. He's now almost what are we at? Twelve years. He's been in there twelve years of the past yeah. sixteen. Um, and every, you know, his main goal from the get go, and I'm sure he's probably still talking about now is to get away from this corporate concentration in agriculture, you know, and, and the fact that he can just still lie and lie and lie about that when he's handing out hunt, you know, $90 million to ADM, you know, and just, just pouring out all this money to these corporations and all these mergers continue to happen. He's never done a single thing about it, you know, and, and you think about where go back. If you ever meet, read the book, the meat racket. And, yeah. and read about what he talks about his first few years with Obama and what Obama talked about during that campaign. We got to stop this corporate concentration in ag and look at what has happened in the past, you know, 16 years now. It's, it's just unbelievable how these people just lie through their teeth and, and they get in there and they just, you know, they just don't do anything. It's very, they do the opposite. Yeah. It's very, very corrupt. Can't make it up. That's for sure. <laughs> can't make this stuff up um so i kind of want to kind of going off of that a little bit um i want to talk about the checkoff and i know you love to talk about the checkoff and the scam that is the checkoff um and so kind of this mandatory id conversation came to light recently like it's always been a little bit on people's radar but all of a sudden at the beginning of the year it had people up in arms and part of that is USDA had their final rule sent to the White House um, in January, and then NCBA had their convention with their resolution all kind of around the same time. And so then that kind of brings us to the fact that 
NCBA brings in, I think, what is it, $25 million this year from the mandatory checkoff fee that every single cattle producer in America pays every single time they sell cattle. And so, I mean, when you talk about all the stuff we've been talking about, when you go through the sustainability goals and the, you know, ID and all this stuff, that is being funded in part, we're funding our own demise. And so kind of talk to us about just how the checkoff is not really working for us and more than just the sustainability and ID issues. Like just kind of talk to us about the checkoff and the scam it is. Yeah, 25. So I have Von Meyer's paperwork just so happens to be in front of me. He he went through the, the whole 2024, which I haven't even looked at yet. But yeah, 25,405,000 um, is going to the NCBA out of that. Um, but yeah, and then it's, you know, it's, it's like, where do you start? <laughs> you get asked about the checkoff. But yeah, and and the, it, it's really similar to the way this carbon smart thing goes. It's like these these government programs are just money laundry. They move this money all over the place and nobody knows where it goes. Like, um, I think Shad had a post this week that was really good. He put on Facebook, um, Nebraska Beef Quality Assurance, which is paid for by the checkoff. They have this their big keynote speaker that you can only see if you're part of the Beef Quality Assurance program and probably an ncba member is the university of nebraska volleyball coach you can come listen to him talk as part of a beef quality assurance program um and it's it's just mind-numbing when you really look at where this money goes and what a waste it is and you look you know one of the things that i want to really want to start focusing on is right now we are at the point you know we've done the same thing for i think beef it's what's for dinner is from like the mid 90s so yeah. we're looking at 30 years there with the same marketing program. Right now, the cattle industry, you know, as we as we talk about the sustainability stuff, which is what we should be talking about because it, it it's the number one threat, I think, to the cattle industry. But if you look at where we're at, um, where we have the smallest herd really of record, you know, since they've been keeping track, it, it pretty much seems like we have the smallest cattle herd and, and we have multiple... Um, new beef packing plants, large capacity beef packing plants coming online. Um, and so really the goal, how do we, how do we beef up demand? How do we, you know, build demand for beef? Um, are we just going to keep doing the same thing we've done for the past 30 years where it just hasn't worked? You know, I mean, the, the, the average amount consumed by the consumer is per person in America has gone down. Um, it's gone down. I wish I had the numbers in front of me, but it's kind of an amazing amount. You know, um, we've been vilified all over the place and and haven't done anything about that. There's just, there's real, there's a real need. The, the way you build the beef herd is you build up demand or the way you build the cattle herd is you have to build demand with the consumer. But then you, when you look at these things and what's happening and, and how the, how the packers have slowed everything down so much because there are low numbers, but they also don't want to pay for cattle. And it's like, well, you have these, these packing plants that are going to be on, they're going to be coming online here in the next year or two. Like what, what are they going to do? And the goal, you know, the, you go back to where lonesome land started and really got involved in this kind of stuff is, is competitive markets. Um, and you know, if we could get more packing houses, you know, packing plants involved privately owned, um, that is, that is, competitive market. That's how you increase competition. You bring in more people to bid on your cattle. 
um, and they're not going to have cattle to bid on. Um, <laughs> I mean, I just don't see it working how it's going to work. Um, I guess I kind of got off on a tangent, went off of the checkoff there, but it just goes to, it's, it's just such a failed program and, and the people involved in it get told how wonderful it is over and over and over again. And so I think that's like kind of the main issue really to, as kind of a general, without getting into the weeds too much, um, it's a failure. And, and when people tell you what a great job it does, like say, prove it, you know, give me a stat that, that shows that the beef checkoff works. You know, that's what I'd say. And, you know, Jim, I'm, I'm, I'm different than most, most people. I, I am actually pro checkoff. I think a lot of, I think most people are, I would say I am too. You know, it's, it was created for research, education, and promotion. And back when I was a kid, uh, when we had Sam Elliott on and uh, that one female actor, I can't remember her name. And we actually had programs in our schools that taught where this valuable resource of beef comes from and where it goes to these kids. We don't have that anymore. And like you said, we're, we've lost... Since 1980, we've lost half of our producers. We are putting no youth back onto the ranch. We're putting no no youth are are w- without being obligated to the federal government. No youth are going back into ranching. I mean, we have failed at this miserably. And the the biggest thing about the checkoff is the um, it's it it it's not uh, what is the word I'm looking for transparent. It's the most yeah. untransparent, uh, you know, they say, well, you can, you can find out what you want about it. No, we can't. We tried, they redacted. And so the transparency issue is first and foremost, the issue that we need to get on top of. And, and like I said, I, 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 I like the idea of the checkoff, but it has become so corrupt and we have people without a stake in the game. I say it all the time without a stake in the game that are, uh, creating and pushing policy funded by us and that is all that is wrong on every level and we yeah, should and have a say we should have more of a say yeah and i guess if you did want to get into weeds of it you look at um you look at ncba who's their major really controls the whole thing um because they're yes. you know like they send all the beef board members so I'm I've done a podcast with Von Meyer and I I pushed it back because I came out with Brett's and I felt like Brett's was a little more I just needed to be out there. The um, Von Meyer's kind of the same it's the checkoff stuff I've been talking about but he was a board, beef board member for I don't know how many years. And in there we talk about how Beef It's What's for Dinner came from um I couldn't remember the name but I think it's Leo Burnett is the advertising company, one of the biggest advertising companies in the country. Um, the, this was back before they gave all the money to lobbyists, like every contractor on the, on the, um, checkoff is a lobbyist and they're all kind of, you know, I have to exclude us cattlemen's because I guess that they do, they are pushing for, you know, against the EID tags and M they are for M cool and those kind of things. But, um, all the rest of them, like you look at the second, the second highest, um, contractor gets $8 million is the export federation when their goal is exports. And how do you get exports? You import. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. It's all about trade there. And so, and you look at, 
who is overseeing go to go back to Vilsack, who's overseeing the checkoff and how come this crazy thing can be happening? Um, you know, how come this this giant waste of money that seems like a gigantic fraud and a scam if you really spend five minutes looking at it? Um, how can this exist? Well, the USDA is supposed to have oversight of it. Um, and go back to the $445,000 that USDA gave NCBA. USDA and NCBA are just holding hands partners in everything, in yeah. everything that's going on. And so, and then they're supposed to be looking over the checkoff. And it, so they're handing NCBA $445,000 and then they're going to go and make sure that they're spending right. their money the right way. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's all these rules in the, and that's what they talk about. You know, Brett's good about bringing this up with the off act. It's their one chance of legislation to get rid of it and make these, make sure these checkout people. And all that really does is make sure enforces the laws that are already on the books. Exactly. You know, we're supposed to be able to vote on if, the, if we want to continue to have the checkoff. Um, and we're, there's all kinds of different things, you know, the checkoff supposed to, it's in the first line that they're supposed to, um, promote cattle markets has that ever been done like in your lifetime have you ever seen like a you know it's it's almost the opposite they're trying to to take away cattle market um well so far they've been pretty good right yeah they have yeah think about that think about how how many sale barns have went you know and i was talking to somebody the other day about you know our local sale barns dunlop and how their numbers have, they used to have just tons and tons of cattle going through there. And, you know, and of course, Tyson Foods packing plant was right up the road in Denison and it's closed now because there ain't enough cattle around. And it's just, it, it, it's hard to, you know, you get back into digging into this stuff and and good luck not getting depressed. You <laughs> see it and, and, and then trying to beat your head against the wall to try to get people to pay attention to it. That's yeah. Where we're yeah. At. I was talking to my cattle buyer in Mississippi the other day. Hey, and he said, Shad, we used to procure, this is my former cattle buyer. He, he said, we procured cattle from over 400 sale barns in the Southeast, you know, upwards of 200,000, 250,000 a year. And now he said, you can't find 40 sale barns. Yeah. And that was going on at a time when there was stockyards packed, you know, for miles yeah. and miles around the same time you know talk about yeah. those big numbers at dunlop there was also the omaha stockyards was the everybody held their fat it, once they're finished they went there you know so people yeah. weren't it's that was a real competitive market back yeah. then i mean they were taking the fats to the to the sale barn to sell that was i don't think i've ever seen that in my in, in my career i mean if yeah. i did it was in the 70s and i don't remember it but yeah so what do we do? How do we turn this ship around, Jim? What do you that's think? the that's the one that's the <laughs> tough question. It's it's easy to sit around and complain and to and to look at this stuff. Um I guess the main thing is to like what I say is to get educated on the, especially on this carbon deal. Um it to kind of just get people to understand what's going on. And you look at that three billion dollars, that's what we're up against. You know, we're up against three billion dollar federal government you talk about how ncba is funded um you know and i know there's i'm not the best at calling my politicians but i think i've got it on my list of that something that needs to get done this week um 
I don't know. I, 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 I got asked that Bill, Bill asked me that at the deal. And I said, that's more of a question. That's what our calf has to answer is, is how to fix it. Yep. That's what we're trying. Um, on your, okay. So you did write an, in one of your articles you wrote, you wrote something about how we have to remember our freedom. I think something about freedom and that's how we turn something, you know, that's how we get rid of some of this is we have to go back to our roots of freedom and our roots of liberty. So talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. I think I was talking about how that was kind of the end of my speech in, in South Dakota where, where we have a chance of, we have this choice kind of coming up is how I feel like in these next few years, we have the choice of, of, you know, handing over all of our really independence and liberty is what you're handing over when you sign up for these carbon deals. You, you're not independent anymore. And you're building a system that'll, that'll easily take away the independence of, of every small producer in the country, you know? And so you have that choice of, of, creating that legacy of of hand of giving away your independence and and you and will be handing down these farms and ranches to to kids that are complete then they're be under under government control really and and the other choice is is to stand up against it and and to push back against it and um and stand up for liberty and your freedom and, and independence and understand that that's, that's your most important legacy. It's not, you know, how many acres or how many head of cattle you're yes. handing down, but it's really, um, you know, how much freedom you're giving your children. Absolutely. Wasn't it? I think Ronald Reagan said freedom's never one generation from going away or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, very true. All right. Well, Chad, close us out. Well, let me see what I got. I got some other things I want to say, but I can't remember. <laughs> um, okay. He didn't follow my outline at all. No, Jeff. we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> Sorry. I did. I... Okay. Here's a good That's one. For you guys, Paul. Here's a good one. We talked about, Jim, we talked about um, this captured or this bought and paid for media system in the United States. And we know that it's been that way in mainstream media for quite a while now. And, and, and so obviously we've been thinking that it was in the, in ag media for quite a while, you know, a few years, and now we know that they are captured. So how, is there a way to push back on that? And how does somebody like you become an independent journalist? If, if you talk about legacy and that's a very, very important, um, how do we leave a legacy of the ability for our youth to, do that and how do we teach them the importance of that because we just you just talked about uh the legacy and what we're gonna you know as far as handing farms and ranches down but the the truth is is what uh, the legacy that we're on course to leave our kids is that they would have no knowledge of liberty and production right there it's it's good they're going to be used to being controlled so how do how do we get these independent young people like Jaden is an excellent journalist and she doesn't use it yet, but she's going to someday. How, how do we, how do we capture them or how do we promote them? What do you say to that? So I've been looking, like I said, I've been interested in media like all my life and it's kind of like a hobby. Like I look at it and, and see what's going on um, and just kind of follow it. And I've had, 
you know, I've, I've followed sports media and stuff. I can't tell you, I've I don't know when the last time I sat down and watch a game was, I guess the Super Bowl, but I don't, I mean, I probably watch two or three football games a year, but I, I know about all the people that are talking about it. And, and just because it's almost like a hobby of mine, just to follow how they, how they operate and to look at kind of the media landscape right now, it's, it's really interesting to see how things are going with like the Joe Rogans of the world and, and different places like that. But for me, like Lonesome Lands is something I wanted to build and wanted, I wanted to build to, to stand on its own and, and, um, and be independent and not have to worry about advertisers and all that kind of stuff. Um, or at least have advertisers have, have power over you. And so I guess to go back into how I want Lonesome Lands to work, um, you know, and the goal for the companies that I've seen that are kind of doing, have been successful at this, you know, they would say, if you don't want to have your advertisers have power over you, like you have a merch line. So you sell merchandise and, and then also have a subscription type service. Um, my goal is, is not to ever have anything, you know, I always want my stuff to be free because I want as many people as possible to see it. Um, but for people that support me, I call it a subscription. It's really probably more of a donation because it's, you're not getting, I mean, I'm, I'm going to send some stuff out to all my subscribers, but, um, you're not, you know, I'm not going to keep things behind a paywall for certain people or things like that. I'm just not at the point where I'm even making that much content. Um, but there are, but I, and I've fought kind of to go back on your question, I'm kind of following the path of like other journalists. There's other companies that I've looked at their websites and how they're trying to do things. And, you know, it's a big deal. If you look at in agriculture, like if you look at what happened this week that I think I'm going to make a video about, um, the market reporter has to give a apology, you know, go on and, and give an apology video because he said one little thing and you go back into legacy and, and the cattle people we grew up with, this is what I'm going to make a video about um, and, and maybe write an article. You look at how that they have become this industry. What that showed is just the tissue paper softness and, and like how, how the people who really built this industry are rolling over in their graves because that guy said one, you know, and one little thing, that somebody didn't like and then he has to give a, a written apology read out a written apology on camera it just made me sick to think about like what it, this is the cattle industry you know this isn't cancel culture this is supposed to be the rooted people of america yeah this ain't even espn or something like that I like know. that's what it looked like i'm you know it was just it's it's just not I don't know what's going on with the cattle industry. You look at the other point I was going to make, you look at all these speakers that just spoke at NCBA convention. And I don't think I saw a single person that makes their, their living from cattle. No. Um, you know, like their total living, somebody like you, Shad, who, who has, you know, their who puts it all on the line every year and has to pay off that bill every year to, to make a living. They're all from these corporations, Corteva. It was just like every, every corporation you could think of. And then all these BQA instructors, like, is that really their full-time job? I mean, to go back to the checkoff, I'm, I don't want to get off on that ramp, but, it, but like this, I don't know. It, it just, it's bugging me. It's really bugged me this week after, after seeing that and, and all the stuff that's yeah, going on. You know, you're right. And what you're talking about right now, uh, Jim is, is a line of de delineation of um, where it separates corruption from integrity. That's where it's at. And um, to lose your integrity 
is to lose the you know to, to lose everything you that you stand for i think we so, could go on all day <laughs> yeah, are we at an hour i hope we didn't go too off the rails there we're over an hour an hour is like 15 minutes ago i think <laughs> okay now Jaden, i'm gonna ask him this question then i'm gonna close this out okay sure okay yeah. i'll believe it when i see it <laughs> give me a chance give me a chance okay <laughs> okay so jim what is your favorite cut of beef and how do you like it prepared on oh, whatever they serve, whatever you're serving at your house, <laughs> antelope mesa is that right? Antelope mesa. Um, no, I'm just I'm I'm plain old ribeye, medium rare, salt and pepper. That's all I want on it. Uh, I don't ever put anything on it. So that's that's awesome. Well, okay, Jen, really fast. Where can people find you um, to follow along on Lonesome Lands? Lonesomelands.com, um, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those things. Thank you so much, Jim, for sitting down with us today and for all the research and work you do. We have links to much of what we talked about on today's show in the show notes, including Jim's Lonesome Lands platform. Be sure to go check that out and watch for all the articles and videos he puts out. This thing is all about control and it's up to us to be informed and take the actions to stand up for our industry and stand up for our freedoms. Thank you for tuning in today. Let us know what you think and how we're doing. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review and also be sure to give us a follow at RCAPUSA on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. RCAPUSA is set apart from all other national cattle associations because we rely solely on membership dues and donations to carry out our mission to ensure the continued profitability and independence of United States cattle and sheep producers. We exist only because of the support from our members and we ask you to become a member today. Call 406-252-2516 or go to r-capusa.com.